I need to be about business. I need to be about the bottom line. I need to be aggressive and then I'm going to win and then I'm going to feel happy and fulfilled. But it doesn't happen that way. And I definitely grew up where if you wanted to save the world and have an impact, you were a tree hugger who was not going to make any money. And that was short sighted. If you've ever woken up and thought, what's the point of what I'm doing today? That's the exact opposite of what your employees should be feeling. If you have somehow missed connecting what they do, if they show up and they're the coffee person, they should still feel attached to, wow, without this coffee, these people would not be able to kill it. And then that produces this and that produces this. They need to feel a part of that. Just imagine the change we could make if the majority of organizations made decisions for people and the planet instead of just for profit. You can call it whatever you want, social impact, sustainability, philanthropy, but whatever we call it, it's about designing a better future. I'm Joel Harrison, and on this show, we dive into the perspectives of the very people behind these organizations, social entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and change makers. We talk about successes and failures and advice for people like you, so you can make change through your work. Hey, we're back at it. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, after a little bit of a COVID hiatus, a um, little bit, a long bit of a COVID hiatus, um, I'm excited to bring the podcast back and with a new name. Uh, you've probably already seen that already, but now called The Art of Impact. Uh, it's going to be the same focus as we had before, talking to social entrepreneurs and nonprofit leaders about their journeys and what we can learn from them to help us in our own impact journeys. Um, but enough about me. My guest today, uh, I'm really excited. She's a speaker, a coach. She's a co-founder of Build a Biz Kids, founder of the BBK Network. Uh, she's an advocate for new education models and teaching skills that will actually be useful in 10 and 20 years from now. Uh, Leah Koss, welcome to The Art of Impact. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks, Joel. Um, so I wanted to quickly start just by saying, yes, you, some of my listeners may have known uh, Build a Biz Kids because I interviewed Brayden Ricketts uh, about a year ago, I think now. Um, so yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot has changed and I want to get into uh, talking about what that pivot was like and all the new things that have come up since, uh, since I talked about Build a Biz Kids last. Um, but first, before we get into that, why don't you tell me a little bit about your journey into impact? Because I think um, I, I don't know a lot about it, but I, I've seen some of your, you know, your profile and stuff was relatively corporate kind of experience for a long time. So tell me where impact started for you. Oh, gosh. I, you know, it's one of those things where we grow up through school and then we graduate. And of course, in this kind of, I don't know if you want to call it a new age, everyone's like, you know, find your passion. Do you know what your passion is? Uh, meanwhile, you know, in high school, it's like, you haven't given me any space to do anything other than what you tell me to do. How am I supposed to find my passion? But, you know, passion is this word and it's almost become an annoying word to some people because they're like, I don't know, like one day I want to be a cowboy and the next day an astronaut and then I want to save the world. And then my mom tells me I can't make money saving the world. And then I'm confused. And so I have had that journey. Mm. I grew up where in the eighties and nineties, every corporate movie was about the man, right? And no exaggeration, the man, there was no woman. Yeah. And it was about working your way up the corporate ladder. And that was winning. But the problem was, is that the person who was already at the top of the ladder was a mean person. Nobody liked this person in TV movies and yeah. all the such. So growing up, it was all about, are you winning? 
right? Are you do are you the best leader? You know, good to great and winning um, by Jack. Um, uh, what's his name? Oh my gosh, Jack ah, from um, geez, whatever it is. But yeah, yeah it it was all about are you the best at business? So you're right. My background was absolutely about corporately winning because I thought I needed to show up in shoulder pads. Murphy Brown was my only female role model. So she, if you know her, it's, it's aging me, but she was a raging yeah. alcoholic and she had a big, strong attitude, but she was in, char in charge. So I thought, well, that's what I need to be. I need to be about business. I need to be about the bottom line. I need to be aggressive and then I'm going to win and then I'm going to feel happy and fulfilled. But it doesn't happen that way. And I definitely grew up where if you wanted to save the world and have an impact, you were a tree hugger who was not going to make any money. And that was short sighted. Right. Yeah. So it was it was a it was difficult. And what I realized, which I think many of us have looking at this new age of social enterprise is you can have your cake and eat it, too. Like if you're going to have to buy a T-shirt. Do you want to buy it from a company like Nike or do you want to buy it from, say, a company like Tentree where it costs the same, it's just as good a quality. In fact, their logo is pretty sweet, but they're going to plant 10 trees anywhere you want in the world um, if you buy this. And it's like, yeah. whoa, really? And they're in business and they're thriving. Like, where do you want to spend my dollars? So there was that shift and it took a while. It was completely by accident that I fell into kids education. Nobody would have ever been like, Leah's <laughs> going to teach kids when she's older. Like that is just not what people associated me with. They were like, she would scare children. But I realized <laughs> that all of a sudden it wasn't necessarily the kids. It was um, the idea of living vicariously and going, man, what do I wish I had learned when I was a kid? What would have been relevant? What would have helped me find my passion and realize passion was okay. It wasn't a bad word. It didn't mean you were a tree hugger. And it did mean you could not only flourish as an individual and be happy, but you could really help a lot of people place and planet in the process. So it was by accident. It really I think became more realized. I used to be a, a coach for a long time with adults and um, mm. God love coaches and consultants, but I realized, man, adults are hard to train because we just <laughs> fight for our limitations and defend ourselves on why we yeah. made poor decisions. And I'm like, let's just start with kids. They're not messed up yet. They're super easy to coach and they're really excited to try new things. And mm. all of a sudden it just exploded into this idea of education changing the trajectory of truly the entire planet and the way we do business by helping the younger education learn the things that all of us are lucky to learn if we learn by the time we're 35 or 45, right? Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, so that's that's really cool. And I think your what you've been able to do to translate your learning and your experience to a younger generation and, and help them like accelerate beyond that way quicker than any of us did like I was yeah well into my 20s when I even knew what business was really about well into my late 20s when I really figured out what social enterprise and impact in business was about um so for those of uh those of the listeners who haven't uh been familiar with build a biz kids why don't you give people a little rundown of what what that was working on and then let's talk about the pivot that happened yeah, for sure. So Build Up As Kids is a registered charity here in British Columbia, Canada. And we started with the idea that we wanted to help 
give kids an, a chance to gain a hands-on relevant experience that's actually going to last them for the next 20, 30, 50 years of their lives. And what we realized is there's so much fear in many industries and excitement in others around AI, technology, robots. And the disconnect for me is that we're still teaching kids these fundamental technological multiplication table, algebra, um, right and wrong, multiple choice answer, philosophy mm -hmm. of education. When all of those skills can be done 24 seven in a thousand of a millisecond by a computer. And then we're sitting here going, why are kids not keeping up with, with technology? Why are kids not able to jump in after high school and roll up their sleeves and be excited for their future? Mm -hmm. So Build Up As Kids is really about challenging the education system, creating supplementary education models, teaching methodologies, software, innovations that are all relevant. They're based around giving them hands-on experience. Uh, primarily, we, when we first started, it really revolved heavily around entrepreneurship. Uh, we weren't necessarily wanting, and I'll also say actually the age demographic is young. When people think kids and we're teaching them, we start talking about topics that we teach them. They're like, oh, high school kids. We're like, oh, no, okay. like grade seven <laughs> or sorry, um, ages seven to 13. Like we're talking about yeah. grade two to grade eight, right? So mm -hmm. we're teaching them to launch real businesses in a non-contrived thing. It's not just friends and family. We stick them in a mall where they get really nice customers and they get really, really grumpy, mean customers. And kids are learning to have to count their own change. They're learning math. They're learning communication. They're learning decision-making, critical thinking, resiliency. Um, there's like... Uh, a hundred different essential soft skills uh, yeah. that they're learning. I like to call them human skills. And that is transferable into anything they want to do. So they don't have to become entrepreneurs, but if they can learn through those hands-on relevant experiences, they're not only learning it faster, but they're learning it because they want to and they're excited because they can see the why, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so entrepreneurship is just one methodology. We've created some well, we currently have in development with a lot of universities. We're working a lot with ASU in um, Arizona State University. They've got two awesome modules being created. One is a virtual reality program for kids to actually practice their public speaking to oh, an audience cool. that's responsive. So if they start saying a lot of ums and ahs, it uses AI technology. And so if they start saying a lot of ums and ahs, they're staring at the ceiling or at the ground, <laughs> the audience starts to get bored. And yeah. so they're getting that real world feedback in this kind of COVID, can't talk to anybody in person kind of environment. Uh, we have a stock market game. We have actually a whole program around teaching teachers how to better connect with students and how to have a more successful experience in teaching them because that's definitely been a point of frustration pre-COVID, but especially with COVID. Mm -hmm. Teachers trying to connect with kids through a webcam when that kid is in a room with every possible distraction at their disposal. How do you become a really entertaining person and be like, look at me and please learn something. So we just finished up a whole speaking tour uh, sponsored by the Canadian Red Cross and that allowed us to teach professors, teachers, counselors, and things of that nature on how to connect with people differently. So we kind of, we, we approach education as a whole, and we're really looking to just keep 
challenging it? What are different ways we can educate and help that child feel really prepared and excited by the time they graduate? I mean, we have kids in school for 12 years. If they're not feeling excited to join the real world after 12 years, what the heck are we doing with them? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's so funny. You talk about like stock market and things like that. Cause I, I was just talking with a friend the other day, um, and his kid, his daughter was f- super excited about that Roblox game. I've never mm-hmm. played it. I don't even know what it's about, really. Um, all I know is she wanted to keep spending money in the game. And he said, hold on, if you like this game so much, let me, uh, we'll take some of your money and let's invest it in the Roblox company. And let me show you what that is. I was like, that is so cool. Uh, so that's right? super awesome that you're, you're teaching kids about that. Um, so with you know, all of those programs and everything, a lot has changed throughout COVID for a lot of different organizations, but you were doing primarily uh, in-person events, uh, you know, workshops and and these programs, summer camps, that sort of thing. Um, So how have you shifted into this kind of online space, I guess? Yeah, you know, this is something where I'm sure many entrepreneurs who have actually ended up being able to thrive through COVID, um, they have this feeling. Um, So I just want to preface this. Uh, Sometimes we can feel shame when we start to talk about how great business has been for us, but we really should be celebrating because COVID is just one occurrence that happened to affect a lot of us. But at the same time, there's still war going on. There's still racism happening. There's still oppression. There's still all these other tragedies that are happening in the world. And COVID is just one that's going to keep happening. And so I just want to say, I mean, no disrespects. I know a lot of businesses have struggled. They've gone out of mm. business and people have also had personal family tragedies. For us, the what I liked so much about COVID was something that I already knew, but it forced the rest of the world to know. So as an entrepreneur, I uh, my first business crashed and failed after four years. But nobody knew because I was struggling silently because of the shame that I felt. Mm. And I thought, oh, I should be really successful. But one day, a friend of mine told me, You know, all the CEOs of every major business, at the end of the day, they utilize their team, they utilize their experience, but there is no manual and they're making it up as they go. And that's really what entrepreneurship is. It's making it up and trying things as many different ways as you can until you hit one that hits and not being married to any one idea. And what I love so much about COVID is it was finally a time where everyone's like, Oh man, I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Don't ask me for advice, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. You you might have to close. You might not have to close. You have to reduce your capacity of your restaurant and hotel in half. And like, everyone was just like, rule book is gone. And I'm like, hallelujah. And so because (laughs) of that, everybody was just so receptive to just, what do you got? What do you got? What, What can we do? And so I really kind of felt like this was an opportunity to play. And every idea was a good idea until disproved otherwise. And if it felt exciting and fun, well, let's give it a whirl. Our business grew so substantially during COVID that we ended up creating a sister company, which is the BBK Network. It's a benefit corporation, one of the first benefit corporations actually in BC, because that only came into effect as of July last year. Um, So really, we looked at it and we just thought, all right, we've got some things going for us. For one, everybody's in the same boat. So if we're struggling, but we we have the mentality, tools, expertise to pivot really quickly to online and to have a reach, 
Well, other companies who have a similar target market, other organizations that teach kids practical skills like STEM or coding or um, mindfulness and yoga and uh, drama and all these really other cool skills, we're like, let's just reach out to them and say, hey, do you want to come on our platform Hmm. and teach? And let's all band together. If you all, if we all just donated an hour or two a week, we now have a full 10 hour schedule that kids can come to that's a safe place. They can socialize with other kids. They can see people. If you're an only child with a single parent during COVID, like what a lonely existence, right? So it was a safe place. They could have fun. They could relax for the parents. It got their kids out of their hair for a couple hours a day where they knew they were safe and it was, you know, healthy screen time. And so that's what we did is we created this platform and we were just all about partnership and collaboration. And it allowed us to grow so much. It created Mm -hmm. a lot of awareness. It also allowed us to flex a lot of skills that we were like, let's just try this and see if this works. Cause mm. we went from teaching kids on in person to online and we managed to really kind of hack this whole building trust and connection online through zoom thing. And mm. we did it really in a way that we also had to document and, and truly hack it. So we could teach all these other people how to do it as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, yeah, we, we came up with a lot of discoveries. We had a lot of success. We created the sister company out of it. Um, yeah, so we, talk to me we about managed the, to grow. Talk to me about the collaborations. So what I get what what kind of scope were you looking at in terms of getting other partners together? And then what was your process in order to do that? Because I think you got a lot of partners together, right? Uh, we we had a lot of external partners and then we also grew our volunteerism. So we went from just me and Brayden and our board member committee of, you know, three and, yeah. uh, you know, a couple of, you know, friends and family volunteers who would come out to events and stuff and a couple of parents who were really big advocates to having over 60 volunteers, which we've managed to retain till this day, mm. all people who are who have their own things going on in their world. They, they're they new to Canada and they need to build their Canadian portfolio, but nobody's giving them a shot. And so with us, they get to play around in the area of their expertise and build their portfolio. We have a lot of students mm-hmm. building their portfolios, people who are 40 wanting to shift careers and just need to build portfolios. Other people who they love what they do, but it's just not fun projects anymore. And they get to come here and play and contribute their their time and expertise um and so many of the people who have come to volunteer we give letters of recommendation we actually have a whole program internally to help these volunteers with whatever their goals are uh to mm. help them take that next step so really cool can you tell me about internally. that program it sounds interesting because i'm interested in how you're activating the i guess the passion and purpose of that particular volunteer what's your what's your program around that like So we definitely have one thing going for us that other organizations might not have, which is when people look at our program, we were all in school at one point. Mm. And the number one thing people say is, I wish I had this when I was a kid. So right away, we hit an emotional note with people where they go, oh, yeah, especially the the college students where they're like, oh, my God, when I hit grade 12, I was like, (laughs) super scared. Like, I still don't feel ready. And I paid like $20,000 in tuition. And I'm supposed to be ready to graduate next year. And I have no idea who's going to hire me, right? Mm -hmm. So they really resonate. But internally, um, we bring people on in teams always. 
So I do group interviews and right away, this volunteer who's sitting in isolation in their home, we have a lot of new immigrants actually, where they moved here right before COVID. And as soon as they got here, it was like, stay in your home, right? Yeah. Like you're not allowed to associate with anybody. And so these poor people are sitting at home going, I can't get experience. I can't get a job. I, I don't even know how to navigate the city. I can barely find the, you know, the grocery store around the corner. High school students are going, man, I thought my life was about to begin and it feels like it just ended. Um, people getting laid off, reduction of hours, things like that. So yeah. we, we definitely, we just do general postings um, and people apply and we create an immediate dialogue. We do group interviews. And basically, as long as I feel the first question that I ask people, and this I recommend for anyone interviewing, if you keep it all about the job, you're setting a tone that your company is entitled to more care than what you're giving to the person you're interviewing. Hmm. And so what I do is um, when we start any interview, because I believe that really sets the tone, yeah. is I share with them all about the role. I don't put them on the spot. I don't make them feel like, all right, now I'm going to grill you on stuff and you prove to me how yeah, awesome yeah. you are, are right? Are you worthy? Tell me. Right? I'm like, I'm going to be able to answer 50, 70, 90% of their questions. I'm going to go through everything. I'm going to show them some culture-based videos of like how cool the organization is and what we're working on. Describe the fun projects. Give them the tangible projects. Don't talk about ambiguously. Well, we'd love for you to be able to manage this and to help with this. Tell them what the outcomes are. What are they going to get to walk away with yeah. and feel proud when they hang out with their friends and their family and they say, how's work? And you're like, guess what I got to finish making at work this week, right? <laughs> so we do that. I also, And that what that helps with volunteerism is I tell them that these are roles designed where you will get to start and finish a project that you can then take and say, look what I did. Yeah. If you're not going to give a volunteer that feeling of satisfaction and help them really see what tangible outcomes they've been able to produce and feel proud of, it's going to be hard to retain them long term and even attract them in the first place. Um, the second thing is by bringing them on as a team, they already feel like they know two or three other people in the company. They've got a crew. Um, so if I'm looking for a graphic designer, I usually bring on two or three. I'm not just bringing on one. That also puts less pressure on the company um, because things happen. We've had people contract COVID, family members contract COVID, other people whose fathers contracted cancer, right? We all think about COVID, but there's still all the other diseases happening and, and tragedies that happen, car accidents, et cetera. People who have been um, you know, kicked out of their homes, lost their jobs, it's midterm season, things happen. And so by having more than one volunteer in a role, you're putting less pressure on them as well. And they feel like they have a team. Uh, we talk about our values. Number one value we have is communication and setting any expectations that are most important to your company up front. Make sure that they're coming on board with the right mindset. And then I share with them all the things that I want to do to help them. And my first question I ask them is, why did you apply for this and what can we help you with? What are your goals after this role? The amount of people who thank us for going, wow, like, I feel like like I should be thanking you for bringing me on when I'm the one kind of giving my services because yeah. um, we 
So we have huddle that helps them feel a part of a team. If you've ever, ever heard of a huddle, a stand up or a scrum, we yeah. do that online every Monday. Every volunteer is um, encouraged to come and join us. They hear all the ins and outs of the company. They feel like they get to go, wow, look, at I'm part of something so much bigger. It's not just this little piece I'm working on. Look at all these other things that are super crazy and amazing that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So that helps them with long term and cultural integration. Um, I tell them that, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, I tell them <laughs> that um, on their LinkedIn profiles, mm -hmm. us is regular experience, not volunteer experience. In mm -hmm. my opinion, if someone is willing to do something for the love of it, I will hire that person over the person who's doing it because they have to, to pay their rent. Mm -hmm. And so on LinkedIn, Put us as regular experience. We value you as much as we value any other employee. And that will help them because it's always easier to find a job when you look like you're already actively working as opposed mm -hmm. to not. We list every single team member on both of our websites. You are a part of our team. We want you to feel valued as a team member. Mm -hmm. So they're listed publicly as somebody that we value. Um, we give thanks to our volunteers internally. And once they've worked with, with us and they've completed some projects that I have things to speak towards, I have done countless number of reference phone calls, reference letters, uh, things of that nature to help people with whatever their future job goals are. And of course, whatever they work on, unless it's super proprietary, which there's not much that we hold to our chest over here, they're able to use it all as a part of their portfolio. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. And you've really put a lot of thought into that whole process for them, which I think is is super important. One of the things that I loved right at the beginning, you were talking about sharing the impact with them first and, and what the mission is that you're on. And I think it's a, it's a unique perspective, but also one that's just so obvious too, where it's like impact reporting in any sort of sense of communications for a nonprofit or a social enterprise but let's do that impact reporting for people that we're going to hire, like right before yes. we hire them, right before they get involved. I think that makes so much sense. If you've uh, ever woken up and thought, what's the point of what I'm doing today? That's the exact opposite yep. of what your employees should be feeling. If you have mm -hmm. somehow missed connecting what they do, if they show up and they're the coffee person, they should still feel attached to, wow, without this coffee, these people would not be able to kill it. And then that produces this and that produces this. They need to feel a part of that. And not being that company like Huddle is really important to me where we're sharing our numbers. We're sharing the exciting things that are happening. We're also sharing the losses mm -hmm. and we're letting them know like, hey, you are a part of this journey. And that's really what education should be as well. We can all think of the algebra class or whatever it is going, oh, what am I going to learn or need this when I grow up? That's how kids feel every day too, right? If you've ever been dragged to a seminar and you're like, oh God, I got to sit here. Can I leave? Will anybody notice if I leave? Yeah. We want our employees, our volunteers, um, our students to never have that feeling of what's the point of this? I don't get it. I'm uninspired. Mm -hmm. um, nobody's going to do a good job. So the, the weekly huddle with all of your volunteers, let's say, you know, not all of them cause it's, sure to join. Um, but the, I mean, that's a pretty big undertaking that I don't know if a lot of organizations do where they're, you know, creating that space for, um, I guess for leadership to be super transparent. Um, but it sounds like a lot of work. What would you say to someone who's like, oh, that like a weekly, <laughs> weekly presentation <laughs> sounds like a lot. Well, it is if you want to take it on by yourself. 
but I have a leadership team as well, right? And we use something called Miro. Miro boards have changed my life um, and really, oh my gosh, you gotta get Miro board. It's basically, if you ever love making flow charts, um, demos of what you want a UI UX to look like, you wanna do graphs, you wanna do, a, um, oh gosh, like an Asana or a Trello or yeah, yeah, yeah. anything. You can do all of that inside this thing and your cool. team can have access to it. So you can all be collaborating on the same whiteboard essentially at the same mm. time. And so each goal or area of um, the departments, we have someone on our leadership team and they fill it in. Uh, my leadership team gets together at 9 a.m. We do all of our leadership team meeting stuff and we also update the huddle board then at uh, 10 o'clock Pacific time until 1030, that's our huddle time. And it's great. We also, I love this new program. We're looking to see how we can do huddle in it. It's called Wonder. So if you've never mm. seen Wonder before, oh my gosh, uh, like Joel, if you ever put on like an event and it's a networking event, yeah, yeah, yeah. Zoom is quickly going to be over. Zoom will well, be I, what I'm you already give. looking at several other options. So uh, yeah. I, I haven't heard of this. Wonder, how do you spell that? It's just Wonder. Wonder exactly yeah. as it sounds. And what's great about it is we would be little avatars floating around with our, our picture. Mm -hmm. And when you and I get into a certain proximity, our videos show up on the screen just like you and I see here. Right, and then if a third yeah. person and a fourth person and, and 10 people are in the group, that's cool. But if you want to leave, you just go network over here and you network mm. over here and you can create a custom background. So you could have like the bar over here and you could have the meeting room over here and you can create pods where it's like, hey, you want to talk shop? Come into mm -hmm. this pod if you want to talk about nature or saving the world you can come over here and and yeah, it just yeah. allows people that feeling like you're in a regular room and you can come and go as you like from one conversation to a next it's awesome mm -hmm. so yeah I, I love technology i love software and so when it comes to time consumingness of huddle it's really not a lot and frankly if it is a lot it means you are not keeping track of the progress of your business like if you're doing quarterly reports or annual reports, like, my God, how are you still in business? Like you need to be tracking on a week to week basis. What did you do last week? Yeah. And I love that because it forces you to also go, wow, a lot of stuff happened last week. Wow. This is, really <laughs> oh, this is not working. This is really bad. Yeah, Ooh, we yeah. got to drop this. You should be having that kind of, um, reflection on a week-to-week -week basis anyway and mm. all you're doing is putting it somewhere and then showing it on a screen share so it's not that big of a deal but the mm. key with huddle is it's not the you show so if mm. you're doing all the, the talking it's wrong you should have your leadership presenting their stuff you present your stuff and then every single person who attends huddle we personally do a top one so share with us what your top one is it could be a top one for what you're working on with the organizations or if something amazing is happening in your personal life share with us that top one that you're working on maybe it's midterms mm -hmm. we have people who are publishing books if you want share one for the organization one for your personal life and we go around the room everybody says their name what team they're on and what their top one is and now people feel a part of the conversation as well and they're not just showing up going i guess i'm just supposed to listen and pretend <laughs> i care like they actually feel a part of it yeah yeah oh that's very cool um so i'm curious about your perspective in terms of creating impact in this kind of new more digital world and so there's there's obviously a lot of new models that are coming up and you know the the network programs that you're putting on um, are one of those but do you feel like the impact is there's more potential or less potential in terms of what we can do online versus in person and are you i guess anticipate like 
anxiously waiting for things to start opening up? I don't know. Maybe if people were with us in person right now, I'd get tomatoes thrown at me. But I think you're really ignorant if you think you can do more in person than you can digitally. And the, the mic drop point on that is I can call up somebody in New York right now and it wouldn't matter if they were in New York or in the building next to me. I can still talk to them. Mm -hmm. Our team has been able to grow so exponentially because um, of our of our paid staff. Um, there's five of us. Two of them live in Ontario. The other three are here in BC. Cool. That would have never happened pre-COVID because we wouldn't have thought of it. Oh, no, if we're bringing people on, they really should be close by. I need to keep an eye on them um, when it comes to partnerships. We, the reason partnership, like our person who taught on the BBK network, yoga and mindfulness, she was in Massachusetts. Mm. That would have never happened. We'd have been like, we need to find a yoga person close by. And, oh, we can't <laughs> find one. And, you know, like all of a sudden, like the walls are gone. And the days of me, I live in Port Moody, BC. I would sit in 45 minutes of traffic to go downtown for a half hour coffee meeting and then 45 minutes back. That is never happening again. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like that's crazy so digital technology we can't villainize it and for parents on this please do not villainize technology and screen time mm. with your kids instead it needs to be an open conversation about that um, i'm actually doing a speaking event coming up about healthy screen time for kids which talks mm. about just that for parents because cool. you just can't villainize it it's going to be a part of our world whether you like it or not and Instead, we need to create conversations around how you use it as a superpower and not as a detriment. And um, one of the speaking tours I also just finished up on behalf of Canadian Red Cross was about how to build trust and connection online through Zoom. Mm -hmm. I know right now listeners are going, I am over this. I am done. Let me get back to my office. Let me manage my team where I can physically see them. I can build that trust. I feel like I can't trust anyone on my team. Networking yeah. is impossible. I feel like I've had so many phone calls with people I'm trying to build relationships with and it's going nowhere. That is because of how you are actually communicating on Zoom. Hmm. We think we can communicate the same way in person and just do that on Zoom. But you can't. And in fact, a lot of the things you used to do in person that traditionally build trust is actually breaking the trust and you just you aren't even aware of it because you just don't even think of it it's it's hmm. automatic right yeah. so if we can help to now educate people about this that zoom fatigue thing is going to be a thing of the past and hmm. technology can be used as an inc incredible tool to exponentially grow your business mm -hmm. totally and i think like i'd love to talk about maybe some of your tips from from your learning throughout that with connecting with people on Zoom. One of the things that comes to mind, I was talking with someone uh, several months ago, actually, and I, I didn't really realize um, the lack of communication that that we're having with Zoom because we're not actually looking at the camera. And it, it just it like popped out to me because he was one of the first people I talked to that actually looked at the camera. And so it was weird. Well, it's not weird, but it felt natural and it was nice, but it was unusual because I hadn't seen it before and I was I quickly like picked up on it and I asked him I was like so are you like are you looking at the camera or are you looking at me um, and he said yeah I'm looking at the camera I've trained myself to do that and so that's something I've been uh, actively working on but um, what's your experience been and what are some of those tips that other people can learn from 
Uh, there's so many. And let me preface this by saying this is not the first time we've had to relearn our tricks. It's just previously when email came on the scene, text messages came on the scene, it was gradual, right? Mm, but back in the yeah. day, I sent my first email back in college. So when I got my first job, I tried to be funny. I was the funny girl. And I tried to be funny in an email. You cannot convey sarcasm in an email, <laughs> especially pre-winky face days. That had not been introduced. Yeah. And you learn really quickly when you get an email back from your uh, superior saying, that was completely uncalled for and I don't appreciate it. You're like, oh my gosh, let me run to the office. I'm so sorry. I was yeah. joking. I was trying to be funny and it came across like I was just a meanie. Totally. So this is not the first time we've had to make this transition. The problem is, is this was literally thrust on us overnight. We were told mm -hmm. you can't leave your house, you're stuck. And there was no transition time. And because it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, meaning I can see you just like I can see you in person. I can hear you and I can hear you in person. Surely whatever we did in person, I can do here, but that's not the case because if it's not in frame, it doesn't exist. And mm. all of those things that for as long as you've been alive in like hundreds of years prior to that, it has been bred into us with these social rules around how you build trust and connection. If you go to buy a used car and somebody doesn't make eye contact with you, they're looking over your shoulder, they're looking down, you're like, I'm not buying the car. It's just <laughs> not gonna happen. Like, I don't yeah. trust you, right? Yeah. I can't see your hands, you're making me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so to give just, I mean, it's an hour, hour 75 minute seminar, but I'll try and give you a yeah, couple yeah, of tips. Of um, so one of them is if it's not in frame, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So for example, Maybe you're a career counselor, a coach, a consultant, or really anybody. If you were in person at Starbucks and we met, or you came to my office and you were talking and I started taking notes, mm -hmm. you would feel valued because you're like, oh, they're listening. They clearly can't be doing anything else. They're engaged. They're taking notes. They care. And I'm doing that knowing that I'm giving that impression. Now, I've got a, a zoomed out. Um, web lens, but if I go like this, this is what most of you kind of look like, but like way closer. So this right, is how you yeah. are at like your webcam. And um, sorry for those who are just listening to the audio and you don't see the video on this, but if I was doing that same thing and I started taking notes, this is what it looks like. Yeah, it just looks like your head's down. It looks like you're on your phone. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so now, even though people are going, oh, well, every time I met with Leah, you know, she she usually took notes. She's probably she's probably taking notes. Maybe she's not taking notes. Maybe something <laughs> happened. Maybe I'm not as interesting as I once was. Maybe she's yeah. just not into this. You've created a seed of doubt. And that's all that you need in order for them to now start looking at other areas in which they're going. See, I knew it. She doesn't care anymore. Mm -hmm. This is this is not as good as it once was. And that's just one example. Um, a lot of people are the what I call the talking head syndrome. So they're like this <laughs> in their webcam. And it comes across as slouching. It comes across like you just don't yeah. care. Your lighting is bad. But probably the biggest tip that I can give is about the black screens. So if you've mm. ever had to deliver a conference or a big meeting or a presentation and everybody shows up and it's all black screens. Mm -hmm. We get over it. Here's where Zoom fatigue really comes from. It has nothing to do with screen time. Okay, let's be real. We're on our screen all day. When we take sure. a bathroom break, we take our phone with us. We're on our phone <laughs> in the bathroom. Then when we get home, we're like, yeah. oh, I'm going to relax. I'm going to put my feet up and turn on Netflix. And we're still in front of the bloody screen. You caught me. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so it's not the screen. What it is, is the over analysis our brain is in a constant state of trying to 
calibrate based on old rules of building trust and connection. Eye contact is one of them. I'm calibrating going, what are you looking at right now? Are you mm -hmm. like, if, if we were in zoom and I was looking at your photo right now, you'd be about here on my screen and I'm talking to you and you're like, what are you looking at? What are you doing? And if all of a sudden you get me really excited and I'm like, oh, I got to share this link with Joel and I start searching for the link so I can paste it to you. I'm actually going, yeah. oh, he's going to love this. But Joel's going, uh, did I just lose you? Did you just get an email come through? What do <laughs> I need to do here? Right. Yeah, but with yeah. the black screens, we're taking it personally. And we're actually judging those people and going, they haven't shown up. They don't really care. They're clearly the slackers of the group. When in actual fact, the black screens could mean they're working twice as hard because they have had back-to-back -back meetings and they have not had time for a pee break. And guess what? They've taken the laptop to the bathroom so they can have a damn <laughs> Maybe it's that yeah. they have not showered in four days because they've been going so hardcore and they just don't want to be on camera. Maybe it's because they're going, this should be my safe space. It's with my boss. I've been in front of clients all day. I just need to be able to put my feet up on the table and just chill and mm. listen to this thing. The other thing is when you're delivering a presentation, let's be honest, we're in the podcast world now, right? So Joel, yeah. when people are listening to your podcast, they're working out, they're doing laundry, they're yeah. cooking, they're multitasking. So why wouldn't they still multitask when listening to your presentation? They're folding laundry, they're, they're doing squats. They're mm. like, I'm gonna get some workout in while I'm listening to you and they don't wanna be on camera. Yeah. So we need to stop taking it seriously. We also need to stop overanalyzing if somebody's looking at the camera, not looking at the camera, looking at their second screen. Somebody yeah. gets up to fill up their coffee. They can still hear us, but you can't see me. So you've assumed I've checked out. Mm -hmm. It's that over analysis. Yeah. And it doesn't so, serve us. Do you us. think that's more on the onus of the, the person analyzing and judging other people because of the black screen? Or do you think more people should, you know, just face the fact they should turn the camera on because it's... No way. You, you're no going to get across better. If you, so the black screen, that's like you doing a public seminar and getting angry every time someone starts looking at their phone while you're delivering a presentation. <laughs> that's like the person who has to pee three times during your presentation and never shuts the stupid door quietly behind them. Yeah. You cannot control other people. And if you want to spend your life trying to control other people, it is thankless and mm -hmm. it's going to throw you off. And now you are going to deliver a subpar presentation because you're just resenting the hell out of half the room mm -hmm. and it doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve them. And they don't mean it to be taking it, you know, as a personal attack yeah, on you. Yeah. Right. So we just really need to focus on ourselves and deliver our best selves. And when you do that, and you come across as not judging them, they respond so much better to you. They feel accepted, like they can open up to you and talk to you and communicate. And the way that you stop looking at the screens, because here's the other thing, we also check ourselves out. We're like, how, how am I looking today? Is this how I <laughs> want to come across, right? Yeah. Stop looking at yourself, stop looking at other people, stop judging and look into your webcam. Find a picture of your spouse, your kid, your pet, your celebrity crush. Make a post-it note with a face on it. Nice. You put that up behind your webcam. Mm. We're naturally attracted to faces and you start speaking to the webcam. And all of a sudden the Zoom fatigue goes down because you just, you don't even notice if somebody's paying attention or not. You're mm. just delivering your best self. And I hate to say it, but just because they were forced to pay more attention to you in person and now they aren't paying as much attention to you online, maybe that's because you just are really bad at presenting. <laughs> 
So you need to yeah. always look at it yourself and go, am I delivering my best self? Because right. if I am, don't worry about what they're thinking. And if I'm not, if I'm going, you owe it to me to pay attention to my boring presentation that's completely monotone and has no mm -hmm. inflection. And that is just me not even looking at the camera myself. I'm not giving you my best self. Well, then that's definitely something that should be looked at too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. This is, that, that was amazing. And I think all of those, those pieces of advice for people, I like, I want people to recognize, I guess, the power of the digital landscape in terms of making an impact and making a connection. And these are so applicable. And I, I thank you for, for sharing them. My pleasure. Um, why don't you tell me a bit about, uh, you know, where the BBK network is going, what you're currently working on. Um, what do you got coming up? Yeah. So build a biz kids as the registered charity, we are now just full force into innovation. We're creating digital products, like I mentioned about the VR and stock market game. We have escape rooms. We're um, creating more and more curriculum, uh, teaching curriculum as well for the educators, uh, as well as going to be delivering courses online. Uh, we're mm -hmm. not going to quite go back to, to in-person, even with vaccines coming out. We're not going to do that this year for 2021. Right. BBK Network is something that evolved because all of a sudden our eyes opened up and we were like, wow, just doing things in person um, wasn't addressing the entire issue. Mm -hmm. If one thing has become apparent with all the social contrast in the world of who's right and who's wrong, which group is, is better and which group is not right from you know, political parties, to sexual orientation, to religion, to racism, to mm -hmm. climate change, and you name it, right? Yeah. When we raise kids, we're essentially raising them in a bubble. And one of the flaws with how we raise kids is uh, much like social media algorithms, <laughs> they only <laughs> see what we expose them to. Right. So whatever that household exposes them to, that's it. Then they go to four walls of their school and they're only exposed to what the school will deem appropriate. And even when they go to the grocery store, they're only being exposed to the social etiquette um, that's been decided upon in that particular area, from how you speak, your slang, your accent, to how you stand in a lineup waiting to pay, to do you make eye contact with strangers, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But if we can help kids have a safe place, safe is key always with kids, mm -hmm. where they can have that bubble shattered that's mm. what we want. We want kids to grow up with not just only hands-on experience, but we learned perspective is so valuable. That's where those aha moments come from. That's where empathy is built. And that's where mm. great innovations come from. So BBK Network, much like if you say, oh, my kid's in ballet, my kid's in soccer or karate, it's insinuating you've just put them in that and they keep going until they're done with it, right? Until mm. they're tired of it. That's what we have with the BBK Network. It's called the Innovators Academy, and it's all about business and economics and social impact. So mm. you put your kid in it, they keep on going. Uh, they age out of the program by 14. Mm -hmm. The age of enrollment is eight and 12 years old. And they're taking on major world product projects. Now, what's great is when they show up to their online classroom, yes, it is online, um, but there's a reason for that. And that's because in this classroom, we'll have a kid from Austin, Texas, um, Orange County, California, hmm, um, cool. you know, Hamilton, Ontario, uh, sure. Vancouver, BC, all in one classroom talking about 
these major projects, major innovations, what's happening in the world and creating mm -hmm. businesses, creating advocacy campaigns, learning about law and all kinds of stuff. And so their bubble is being shattered. They're learning these concepts, but then they leave that online classroom and they go into their communities and they execute. And then next week they come back and how did it go? Let's learn some more concepts. Let's have some more open discussion. And then they go into their own communities and they take on the world. And so this is meant to be supplementary education and something that they can continue to build and develop on for many years. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing. And I think that's just so excited for the next generation that's going to have all of these really interesting, unique, new experiences. And with my daughters growing up, you know, five is my oldest now so it'll be a couple of years till she's really Almost. into those types of programs but yeah um but yeah very excited for for what the the next generation gets to do um where can where can people get connected with you and, and what's the best way to support what you're doing Thank you for asking. So when it comes to me personally, uh, please feel welcome to find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Leah Koss on uh, LinkedIn, so easy to find. And uh, feel welcome to connect with me if you want to connect about a speaking event, a workshop, collaboration partnerships, that's your best go-to. In terms of our um, youth organizations, buildabizkids.com and bbknetwork.com. Uh, Build Kids is the charity arm, and then BBK Network is the online academy. Uh, you can go to the websites, you can contact us through there. All of the social media handles are exactly what the names are, so they're easy to find. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This has been this has been awesome. I, I got so much out of this. And I think I, I want to have you on because I we didn't even really talk about the education system and parenting and uh, there'd be tons of other things that I'd love to talk to you about. So we'll have to have you on another time. Oh, I'd um, love that. Yeah. So thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate it. And um, we'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. If you want to check anything out that we mentioned in this interview, just head over to joelmharrison.com slash episode 20, that's slash episode 20. And while you're there, I would love if you would subscribe and sign up to the community of social entrepreneurs and change makers that get more great content like this, monthly emails, and an insider's look at my social entrepreneurship journey. If you like this episode, and you want to keep getting more, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever player you're on whatever platform it is, hit that subscribe button. Collaboration is essential to this movement. So remember, make change together, and I'll see you in the next episode.